Amen. All right, thanks. Have a seat. Uh, good morning. Glad that you're here. Good to see everybody today. So uh, we're, we're continuing the series we've been in called This Is Us and talking about who we are as a church, our, our mission, our, our, our values. And today we're really going to be talking about worship, genuine worship to be uh, specific. But let me start with this analogy. So ladies, when you got engaged, that was a big day, right? <laughs> it was for you or for her, Will? All right. Did you cry a lot, Will? <laughs> well, okay, so, um, you know, now for us, Will, I mean, we had it easier than these young fellows do today. Really, because all we had to, well, not all, but the main thing we had to worry about, you know, was getting a good ring, you know, put as much money as we could into that. It's different today. I mean, when these guys propose today, it's got to be like Hallmark movie worthy, right? I mean, it's got to be an event. It's got to be a production. But if you just imagine for a minute, now, I'm assuming, you know, when you got proposed to, you got your ring, these kind of, I mean, assuming your engagement ring, your wedding ring is important to you, right? I'm sure it is. I mean, because even, I mean, I'm not sentimental about anything pretty much, but I'm sentimental about my wedding ring, okay? That's kind of a, so I know that's true for you ladies. So, so let's just say, okay, I don't know what, you know, you're, engagement ring cost or anything, but let's just say that, that your husband spent, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, or you thought he did anyway, and, and you know, got you, uh, got you this awesome diamond, I mean, you know, that, that's what he told you and all this kind of thing, uh, but somewhere down the road, somewhere, you know, along the line, you know, while you're married, you discovered that it's a fake. It's not a real diamond. He didn't really spend all this money on it, uh, just kind of a, a cheap little imitation kind of thing. Are, are, are you going to be amused? Are, are things going to go real well for him uh, when you have the conversation about it? Do you think that um, when our worship is fake instead of genuine, that God's amused with that? Because, you know, I think if, if, if that happened to you, I mean, if you got a fake diamond, I mean, there, there, there's probably two issues there. One, it's an issue of hypocrisy, really. You got deceived, and that's going to create a lot of issues. But, but really, you know, the issue is um, an issue of worth, right? I mean, how much you valued. And, and that's not really based on, I didn't spend a lot of money on Robin's engagement ring, but I was in college. I spent everything I could, probably, and, and then some. And, and that's kind of, you know, the, the issue. It's, it's an expression of value. It's an expression of worth. And, and at the end of the day, that's really what worship is. It, it's an expression of value. It's an expression of worth. It's almost like worth-ship. I mean, when you read uh, like Revelation 4 and 5, where scenes in heaven, you know, what the angels and the saints gathered around the throne are uh, continually saying is either holy, 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 or worthy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So 
really what we value, we worship. What we value most is what we're actually worshiping. What we give sacrifice for, what we're most dedicated to, what, what we glorify, what we find our identity in, what we uh, you know, value, give to, that's really what we're worshiping because the reality is everybody's a worshiper. Even atheists are worshipers. We're all worshiping something. And so today what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on really how to genuinely worship God. We're going to uh, try to kind of contrast fake worship and genuine worship. We're going to look at a conversation that Jesus had with uh, the Pharisees as they um, you know, kind of challenged his, him and his disciples, and then he turned it around on him, and we'll seek to apply it to them today. But before we read the passage, I want us to look at uh, our first two core values here at True Life, because uh, they both relate uh, to, to worship. So uh, the first core value to be on, on the screen is we strive to be biblically uh, uh, accurate, it's, that's what it's supposed to say. We strive to be biblically accurate and uh, culturally relevant. Um, and so, really, when you come to true life, and you know, maybe it's like modern worship instead of hymns, and uh, you know, when we have a drummer, it's like a full band, and when there's a coffee bar, and when people are dressed casually, and those kind of things. Uh, I mean, we're you know, we're trying to meet people where they are. But at the same time, I mean, you're going to hear the Bible priest, and it's going to be very straightforward, and, and, and those kind of things. The, the second core value is that worship is not about rituals. It's not about externals. It, it's about Jesus. Worship is about connecting with Jesus, who is worthy uh, of our worship. Now, in fact, if we go back to the first one for a minute, really the first one only sounds like it's about worship. It's not really about worship. It's really about missiology. It's really about an approach to try to reach people. The second one is actually the one that's about worship because here's the thing. The first one is about worship style. The second one is about the heart of worship. And so here's the thing. Worship is not actually a style. You know, one of the dumbest, most unproductive things that the church in the United States does today is we argue a lot over worship styles. There's not a worship style. There's methodologies for trying to connect with people, but worship is not a style. There's a gazillion different styles uh, that we can worship in. And you can worship through hymns, you can worship with an organ, you can worship a cappella. You know, when we go to Honduras, a worship style looks different. If you go to Africa, it's going to look, a lot of that's cultural. Worship, all it actually takes is me and Jesus. I mean, that's worship at the end of the day. And if we say, well, you know, I can't worship if I don't have hymns. I can't worship if there's not an organ. Or if I say, well, I can't worship if there's not a drummer and an electric guitar and those kind of things. I mean, that's just revealing our preferences. And everybody has preferences. And that's okay. But that's not worship. I prefer it when there's a drummer and a couple of electric guitars on the stage and it's turned up really loud and that kind of thing. But if I say I can't worship because of that, I'm completely missing the point of worship because worship is about Jesus and the response that he deserves from us. So that's the, that's the heart 
of worship. So when we talk about worship, worship, maybe the simplest biblical definition, Psalm 29, 2, is giving God the glory that's due his name. Worship is a lifestyle. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, or it could be translated, which is your logical act of worship. When I daily submit myself to Jesus, when I obey him, walk with him, love him, love other people, uh, when I, anything I do to the glory of God is ultimately an act of worship. And, and so you don't have to be gathered in a church building to be worshiping God. In fact, we're to be worshiping him every day. It, it, it's life, but that's not a substitute for gathering together with the people of God to worship him together because scripture tells us in Hebrews we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The internet is not a substitute for gathering together with the people of God to worship him. I mean, I hope that you'll listen to sermons online and podcasts and that kind of thing. I do, but that's a supplement, not a substitute for gathering together to honor and glorify God together and ministering to each other at the same time. That's part of the reason why we come together in a church service. That's a big part of the reason why we have church services, or or, I'm sorry, small groups that we need each other. So worship's a lifestyle, but we also worship with our lips. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him, talking about Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we worship him with our lives. We worship him with our lips. We praise him. We thank him for his blessings. We, we you know, express his greatness and his goodness and, and his worth. We do that you know, daily. Hopefully, you know, we're spending time doing that. But then we come together uh, you know, to do that corporately as a church body. We do it on Sunday morning to give him the first fruits of our week, to recognize that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday and to say we're going to give our first and our best to him in response to what he has done for us. So we're called to be worshipers individually. We're called to worship him as a church. You know, there, there's, a, there's reasons why we worship the way we do outwardly, style-wise. But like I say, that's more about connecting with people and, you know, sharing the gospel with people and that kind of thing. But this is the heart of worship. So this is the question I want to put before us this morning, and then we'll get into our text, which is, which is Matthew chapter 15. Is, is your and my, our worship, is it genuine or is it fake? Is it real from the heart or is it lip service? Does it honor God or is it hypocritical? So with that said, let's look at this account in Matthew 15 try to understand it, then try to apply it to our lives, and, and we're going to sing and worship some more uh, at, at the end. So if you, know, if you got nervous because I had like an hour to preach, just, you can just relax a little bit, okay? Uh, that's, I'm not using that whole time. See, I, that's nervous laughter right there. Some of you were, were, were thinking that. You're, you're busted. I, I know your hearts, and God does too. And Scripture says they're desperately wicked. Uh, so there you go. Um, So you should repent before we worship at the end. (laughs) 
All right, so Matthew 15, 1, the Bible says, uh, then, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, now, let me give a little background. There's these kind of different parties or sects or uh, groups within, uh, within Judaism, just kind of like we have different denominations uh, today. The Pharisees were the legalists. Uh, the Sadducees, you'll read about them in the New Testament, they were the liberals. Uh, the, the, the Essenes were kind of the escapists. They were almost like monks, you know, who retreated to monasteries in, in, in the Middle Ages. They were kind of got out, on, you know, on their own, which we're thankful for because, you know, like Dead Sea Scrolls, that kind of thing, they had a lot to do with preserving uh, the Old Testament text. And then you had the Zealots who, uh, they wanted to overthrow Rome. They were like people today who think, you know, religion and politics, all that kind of goes together. So, so these were the Pharisees, uh, you know, they were, they were Jesus' opponents. They wanted to crucify him ultimately. Um, they were jealous of him. You know, the people thought they were awesome because they were so spiritual. You know, we talked about how they memorized the first five books of the Bible and they gave all these tithes and they did all these different things. So, so they come to Jesus as they often did to question him, to dispute with him, to really to try to make him look bad. And so they ask him this question in verse 2. They say, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Ooh, what horrible people <laughs> they eat without washing their hands. Uh, but in their minds, I mean, they really were horrible people. When it, when it talks about the tradition of the elders, this was the, the oral tradition, and, and this is really, really important to understand this passage. We'll come back to it, but I just kind of want to introduce it now. The tradition of the elders, the oral tradition that had been passed down over the years. And, and basically what it was is it was the rules that the rabbis had come up with to help them keep the commandments of the Old Testament. So you had hundreds of commands in the Old Testament, but then you had all these additional rules to help them keep the commands. Now, sometimes, you know, we have rules like that in, 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 in our lives, and there's nothing wrong with them in and of ourselves. Uh, like, you know, for example, within our staff, there's a rule, you know, male and females are to ride somewhere uh, together. That kind of thing. And that's designed to be, you know, both a protection from any wrongdoing or from the appearance of wrongdoing. That's not like a biblical command, but it's a safeguard to help us keep the biblical command. So in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with this kind of thing. But what they had done is they had taken these rules and elevated them to the level of, if not in some cases, like we're going to see here, actually above the Word of God, above the truth of Scripture. And religions do that today. And the particular one here was they had all these ceremonial laws and, and beyond even the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, that they had all these rituals and these things that you couldn't do, uh, including, you know, washing or eating without washing your hands, uh, particularly when you've been in public. And they went to all these extremes with it. But really the reason behind it is they didn't want to be polluted by any contact with the Gentiles. It was a very arrogant uh, kind of thing. I mean, one of the Sadducees said one of the Pharisees who, who, who washed one of the candles in the temple is like, man, these Pharisees are even going to wash the sun someday. I mean, that's how obsessive uh, that, that they were with it. And so they say this to, to Jesus about his disciples. Look at his response in, in, in verse 3. It says, he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition. 
Now, hang on to that. Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? What are you saying to them? Once again, people do this today, and we need to be careful that we're not doing it. Is, are you, because of your religious traditions, actually disobeying God? That's what he's saying to them. Do we do that? And then he, he gives an example. He said, for God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, that he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. In other words, what they're saying is, uh, you know, their parents had a need. You know, they didn't have welfare and Social Security, those kind of things. Then they, they had to take care of their aging parents. But they're saying, we can't do that. Because this money has been dedicated as a gift to God. And so they were disobeying God by saying they had this gift for God. And in some cases, you know, they weren't actually even giving the money to their parents. They were just saying they had dedicated this gift to God, but they were taking it and using it for themselves. And so in doing that, they were using the, the tradition to nullify Scripture to Satisfy themselves, basically. And notice what Jesus said about them. Hypocrites. That's what he called them. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, and he's quoting Isaiah 29, 13 here, and he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, we'll stop reading in the text there for right now and pick up the second half of it a little bit later. But, but what I want to do is, is I want to point out uh, three things, three truths to you about genuine worship versus fake worship. Okay? So number one, and, and really what Jesus is doing here, it's like he's disputing with them, but then he's like he's teaching the, the, the crowd at the same time positively what real worship is with using their fake worship as a contrast. So he, he says this. He says, number one, genuine worship of Jesus is according to the word of God and not religious tradition. Do, do you see that there? Genuine worship of God is according to the word of God and not according to religious tradition. Maybe to say it in a different way, in John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said to her that if you're going to worship the Father, you have to worship in spirit and in what? And in truth. How are we going to worship in truth? We worship in truth by worshiping according to the truth of the Word of God. We worship the real God in the right way, not our own version of God, not our own way to worship Him, not adding things uh, to Scripture, but according to the, the Word of God. Look back in verses 2 and 3 for just a minute, and, and I want to make sure you see this in, in, in Scripture. They ask the question, why do you transgress the tradition of the elders? In other words, the Pharisees were saying that your disciples are doing something wrong because they're not following this tradition. Now, I want you to understand something. Don't ever let anybody lay a guilt trip on you because you're not following man-made religious 
traditions. You know why a, a lot of people in East Tennessee don't go to church? It's because they've been to church and they're tired of people guilt-tripping them with man-made religious traditions. So we're not responsible to obey things or do things or, or, or follow things that are outside the Word of God. I mean, Jesus turned around and says, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And so he's saying what you need to follow and where you're wrong and where we're right is that we're actually following the Word of God. When we talk about the Word of God, what we're talking about, what I mean is the, the, the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament that Scripture claims and, and, and church history claims and we believe has been validated by empirical evidence that are the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. God's truth that's trustworthy, that's authoritative, and that's sufficient in everything that it says. You know what's one of the things that distinguishes evangelical Christians from other branches of Christianity, or in some cases, pseudo-versions of Christianity, that we believe that Scripture is the final authority of God that's complete and sufficient. That's right. Yeah, the, the adults ought to be saying amen, so, so thank you for that. Uh, that's, that's complete, that's sufficient, that's trustworthy, that can't be added to, or can't be, ta be taken away from. Because man-made religion is always going to take away from or add to the Word of God. I, I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, Mormon, Mormonism, they not only have the Bible, they have the doctrine, uh, the doctrine of Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormon. Scripture is not sufficient. So you reject any religion that claims that. You know, what's one of the differences? There's many, but maybe this may be the fundamental because everything else flows out of this. I mean, this was the root, the heart of the Protestant Reformation. But the difference between being an evangelical Christian and being a Catholic at its root is evangelical Christians believe that the Word of God is sufficient. Catholics place church tradition, the words of the Pope, so on and so forth, on the same level or even maybe in some cases above Scripture. This is one of the distinctions between, uh, you know, charismatic Christians and evangelical Christians is we don't believe God is giving new normative revelation for the body of Christ. And, and, and so, uh, you know, if, if you're an evangelical Christian, you believe that Scripture is sufficient, it's final, it's true, it's trustworthy, but even amongst evangelical Christians, even amongst Baptists, even amongst us, we have our own traditions sometimes where we end up adding to the Word of God, right? How, how many churches are you going to go around uh, to in this area that's going to tell you, well, if you don't use the King James Version of the Bible, um, you know, you're not real. And, you know, what, what we believe is inspired, you know, is the original manuscripts 1,500 years before the King James you know, and, and if somebody tells you, you know, well, we believe in the original, you know, the 1613 or whatever the year was, King James, don't buy that because you'd have to have a translation to actually even be able to read that. 
You know what I'm saying? Or if somebody says, well, you know, you can't go to church unless you're wearing a suit and tie or a fancy dress or whatever. And, you know, it's fine if you want to dress that way to go to church, but don't think that's going to make you more holy or righteous in, in, in the sight of God. Or don't think you can't go to church because you've got a tattoo or something. You know, there's all these external things that, that we can add to it. Or, but we can do the same kind of thing, you know, in a more, quote, contemporary kind of church. Like, so I can't really worship. I'm going to go to this other church because, you know, they got a drummer and they got a better band and, you know, this kind of thing because, you know, we want something more upbeat. That's not worship. You know, we can add external things to it, but when we add man-made tradition to anything that, that's, that's biblical, we're going to have problems. I mean, look at what Jesus said in verse 9. It says, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So are we following the commandments of men, or are we following the Word of God? Don't believe everything that people tell you when it comes to spiritual things. Search out the scriptures for yourself. I mean, you know, you can listen to sermons all over the place that are somebody's version of the Bible that's not rooted in any accurate, genuine exposition of a text of scripture. It's man-made ideas. It's human traditions. Do we know the truth? In 1879, Lieutenant George DeLong set out with a crew on the USS Jeanette in hopes of claiming the North Pole for the United States. DeLong's plans were based on maps delivered by map makers at the time. And, and primarily he was relying on the maps of a man by the name of Dr. August Peterman, and who he, like most map makers then, cartographers, believed that there was an open polar ice-free sea that nobody, just nobody found yet. And so um, every previous expedition that sailed north in search of the sea had run into a problem, ice. Now you might think that running into ice every time would lead scientists to abandon the theory of an open polar sea. Not so. Instead, Peter merely modified the original theory by adding the idea of a thermometric gateway. And so um, I mean, which basically in short was the idea that at some point you're going to bust through the ice and there's just going to be this open sea, smooth sailing. It's going to be like sailing in the Caribbean. And so George Long and his crew of 28 men, you know, they, they were trusting that. They wanted to find that portal. But it didn't take long for DeLong to realize that all the cartographers, scientists, and ge geographers, geographers, sorry, had been wrong. He wrote, I pronounce a thermometric gateway to the North Pole a delusion and a snare. Eventually, DeLong began to doubt the existence of the open polar sea. He and his men encountered ice that seemed to stretch out forever. DeLong and his, his crew finally came to grips with the fact that they had been duped. Um, the, the team had to replace their ideas with a reckoning of the way the Arctic truly is. Finally, they just got, in September 1879, they just got trapped in ice. Had to abandon their ship. Uh, some of the crew actually survived and made it to uh, Siberia, but uh, George DeLong died of starvation in late October, 80, late October 1881. Why? Because he put his faith in something that wasn't true. So is our faith in the tradition of men, religious traditions, 
or is it actually in the Word of God? Do you know Scripture? Do you know it for yourself? You know, sometimes, and I'll say this and I'll move on, sometimes, you know, as, as people who go to church, you can know the right doctrine, but you don't know it for the right reason. Somebody asks you, do you believe in the Trinity? Most of you probably say yes. They said, well, show me in the Bible. I wonder how many of you could actually explain it to them. I said, well, why do you believe it? Well, my church believes it. A preacher preaches it. That's no reason. Somebody, somebody asks you, do you believe that, that Jesus is God? Yeah. How many of you could actually open the word of God and make it? I mean, if, if a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and they're telling you Jesus isn't God, he's Michael the archangel. How many of you could open the Bible and say, this is why I believe this. This is what's actually true. Somebody says, if you say, I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How many Bible verses could you give somebody to back that up? It doesn't really count if you can't do that. Because you're just parroting what somebody else has said to you. We've got to study Scripture for ourselves. But then, number two. Genuine worship of Jesus is an obedient lifestyle and not religious lip service. Genuine worship of Jesus is an obedient lifestyle and not religious lip service. Here's the deal. This is what I'm saying. You and I can't live however we want to live six days a week and come in here and put on our church face and sing some songs and say praise Jesus and amen and God accept that as genuine worship. Now, let me give you a couple caveats. Um, our, our worship is not based on our performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus. The only way we can actually worship, the only way we can come into the presence of God is because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and made the way open into the Father. The only way we come to God is through Jesus Christ, by his blood. So I'm not saying it's based on how good we've done that week and how spiritual we are in and of itself. I'm just saying if we live one way through the week and put on a church face on Sunday... God says we're hypocrites, according to this text, not that we're genuine worshipers. Now, the other thing, too, is, you know, none of us have it all together. And, and I, once again, it's not about our performance. I mean, we, we worship by grace. And, um, you know, I, I know that probably better than any of you because it's like, you know, part of the time I ask myself, what in the world am I doing up here telling other people how to live, you know, the Christian life? Because I know how far short that, that I fall. But the thing about it is, if we're going to come into God's presence and worship, part of that is confession. And part of that is repentance. You can't live a double life and God accept your worship. That's the point. And that's, that's what a lot of Christians do. My guess is, that's what some of you are doing. There, there's a secret sin in your life that you're hiding. Maybe you've been watching pornography all week, and now you're trying to put on your church face. Or, or, or maybe you and your spouse, your marriage is completely falling apart, but you, know, you want to look like a good Christian today. We can't live a double life and claim to be worshiping God. Now, 
I'm not saying if you've ever looked at pornography, you can't worship, but have you confessed it? Have you repented? Have you been honest with somebody about it? If, if your marriage is struggling, are you working on it? Are you getting help? Are you that, uh, that kind of thing? I mean, look at what, I'm not making this up. Look, look at what Jesus says to them here. Ver, look at verse 3 again. He says, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? God commanded, honor your father and mother. He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profits you might have received from me is a gift from God uh, that he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God no effect by your tradition. Jesus said, hypocrites. So these people draw near with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their hearts. And that's what all this is about at the end of the day. Their heart, their heart is far from me. Worshiping Jesus is an obedient lifestyle from the heart, not just lip service. And, and, and listen, sometimes my heart gets cold. Maybe I'm going through the, the motions. I mean, I'm still praying, reading the Bible. I'm still being a pastor, preaching, doing these kind of things. Sometimes my heart's not where it needs to be. I have to repent of that. We all have to repent of that sometimes. None of us in our Christian lives, I don't think it's just this unbroken you know, line up and to the right of progress, of awesomeness, of how I'm always so godly. It probably looks a little bit more like a roller coaster. That's where confession and repentance comes in. Or Jesus says that we're a hypocrite. You know, really what, what he's saying here is that a genuine worshiper is seeking to obey God. And a genuine worshiper treats other people the right way. Because isn't what he's say, saying here, you can't mistreat your parents, you can't take advantage of your parents and claim that you're worshiping God at the same time. It doesn't fit. And so, really, I think if you get to the root of it, what's he saying? I think he's going to the two great commandments. He's saying, this is what worship is. It's loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And it's loving other people as ourselves. That's worship. Love God. Love others. And, and you know the thing about those two commands? Love God. Love other people. There's no loopholes in love. Right? They were looking for loopholes. We're really good at trying to find loopholes and justifying and rationalizing. I mean, that's what they were doing. And so if you got commands and then you got rules, you can always find loopholes to commands and rules, but you can't find loopholes to love. Love God, love others. That's how He wants us to live our lives. Don't, don't be a hypocrite. And then, you know, when we fail, we confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and then, you know, we're able to come and, and freely worship God. Um, let's read in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and then we'll move on to the last of these. Scripture says here, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So just a question. Are we walking in light or are we walking in darkness? Are there hidden secret things in our lives? Are our lives open to the light of God, to the light of other people? 
He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, uh, a representative with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, the atoning, wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the the sins of the whole world. Are we walking in light or are we walking in darkness? Genuine worship of Jesus is according to the word of God and not the traditions of men. Genuine worship of Jesus is an obedient lifestyle and not just religious lip service. But then number three, genuine worship of Jesus is from a pure heart and not through religious ceremonies. It's from a pure heart and not through religious ceremonies. See, what the, what the Pharisees were saying is, if you do these external kind of things, you're going to be right with God. But the point that Jesus is making, verse 8, verse 9, is it's about the heart. Our heart's pure. Our heart's right with God. Let's pick up and finish reading the rest of the passage. Let's read verse 8 and 9 again, and we'll go on from there. It says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. But then it says, When he called the multitude to himself, he's going to use this as a teachable moment now with the whole crowd. He said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying it's not what we eat on the outside, not what we experience externally that spiritually defiles us. It's what comes out of us, what comes from the inside of us that's actually defiling. And then his disciples came and said to him, do, do, you not, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Um, they appear to be worried about that. Jesus is obviously not concerned because he doubles down now with an even more offensive statement. Because here's what he says. He says, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying they're fake. They're not of God. They're not right with God. They don't have a relationship with God. The point that he's making is it takes a pure heart, not these external ceremonies, to make you right with God. And then he wasn't done there. He doubles down again. He says, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. So if you're following people who teach this kind of thing, if you're following people who teach it's about external ceremonies and adding stuff to God's word and all this kind of thing, you're going to end up in a ditch because both of you are blind. That's what he's saying. So Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. I mean, 
It, it doesn't seem that difficult, but, you know, at least Peter's honest, right? <laughs> Got to give him points for that, I think. So Jesus graciously, patiently, well, sort of patiently, because he says, are you also without understanding? It's like, okay, Peter, you're a dummy like the Pharisees, but here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to explain it to you. He's saying, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and, and, and is eliminated? And I think that's self-explanatory. Uh, but it says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. See, I, I, I guess maybe I'm a dummy like Peter. I've taught this wrong in the past because, you know, you ever heard the old saying, garbage in, garbage out? I've taught it like that. That's not what this is saying. Now, there's some truth in that, but he, he's saying the opposite of that. He's not saying what comes from outside of us defiles us. He's saying what's already inside of us is what defiles us. Why do we do the things that we do? This is an important issue because in our society today, Everybody's looking for a reason for why somebody does something wrong, right? And I'm not saying there's not factors outside of us that influence us. But you have to understand, when people do that, it is not a Christian worldview. It's really the opposite of that. It's a humanistic worldview that says that society corrupts instead of us being corrupt people who therefore then create corrupt societies, right? If society is made up of people and we're all such good people, how is society so bad? Some of you, you know, maybe you'll catch that this afternoon, but uh, I mean, there's a point to it, okay? I mean, it's like, you know, why, why did, you know, why, why is he such a bad person? Oh, his mommy didn't tuck him in the right way when he was seven months old. No, the answer is for out of the heart, the inner person, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands... That doesn't defile him. I mean, he's saying that's not the issue. Get the point here. The issue is the sin that's on the inside of us because the Bible teaches, Christian theology teaches, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Do you understand the difference? We're born with a sin nature. So when we get old enough, we choose to sin. It comes out of us. We can't help it. It's who we are. So the point is, if that's the case... Nothing outside of us, no religious ceremony, no religious tradition is going to forgive and purify our hearts or it's not going to change our hearts. The only thing that can change our hearts, the only thing that can make us right with God, the only thing that can make us the person that we ought to be is God doing a supernatural work within our hearts. And that's why Jesus came and he died for us. And that's why if we're actually going to worship and enter into the presence of God, it can only come when we're purified through the blood of Jesus. Vaughn Roberts in a book shared this story. Uh, he writes, Bobby Moore was the English, England soccer captain who received the World Cup from Queen Elizabeth when England won the trophy in, in 1966. An interviewer later asked him to describe how he felt. 
He talked about how terrified he was as he approached her majesty because he noticed she was wearing white gloves while his hand, which would soon shake the queen's, was covered in mud from the pitch. As the triumphant captain walks along the balcony, he keeps wiping his hand on his shorts and then on the velvet cloth in front of the royal box in a desperate effort to get himself clean. And then Roberts writes about that. If Bobby Moore was worried about approaching the queen with his muddy hands, how much more horrified should we be at the prospect of approaching God? Because of our sin, we are not just dirty on the outside, our hearts are unclean, and God doesn't just wear white gloves, He is absolutely pure through and through. That's why the only way we can actually approach, meet with, and worship a holy God is through the cleansing work of Jesus Christ to forgive us, to make us pure, to make us clean, because God can't be in fellowship with sin. And any religious ceremony, baptism, communion, confirmation, uh, going through some class, anything external is not going to make us right with God. Only Jesus can do that. So is our worship genuine or is it fake? I mean, what are we putting our confidence in? There's a new story a few years ago about a guy who was in some kind of, I guess, desperate financial situation. And he hatched this scheme where he was going to go into a grocery store and try to, he was going to take in a counterfeit bill and try to cash it and get real money in exchange. Sounds kind of brilliant. At first, except, I mean, I don't know, maybe he should probably be on World's Dumbest Criminals because the bill that he made and tried to pass off was a million dollar bill. <laughs> now, just in case you don't know this, the highest monetary denomination that uh, the United States Treasury Department prints is a hundred dollar bill. So obviously, somebody got clued in that this was a counterfeit in a hurry. He ended up getting arrested because he was trying to pass off something that was fake as real. What I'm saying is, if we're basing our worship on human tradition instead of the Word of God, it's not going to fly with God because it's fake instead of real. If we're living a double life and then just giving lip service in our worship, it's not going to fly with God because we're trying to pass off something that's fake as real. If we're trying to worship God just based on going through some outward ceremonies, it's not going to fly with God because that's fake instead of real. He has to transform our hearts, and that can only happen through Jesus Christ. Listen, we were created to worship. 
The only way that you can find satisfaction and peace and hope in life is by worshiping the God that you were created to know and worship. And that can only happen through his word. That can only happen through Jesus Christ. That can only happen through repentance and confession and purity and him doing a work within us. Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to worship him? Don't you want to give him the glory that's due to his name? And won't it be worth it to lay down human traditions And won't it be worth it to lay down sin and hypocrisy and to repent? And even if it's costly, even if it's hard, even if it hurts in the short term to lay down maybe the double life that you're living, to let him cleanse you and purify you so you can really experience him instead of just going on this fake man-made stuff. At, At the end of the day, that's what your heart longs for. That's what it cries out for. That's what we need. And you can experience it if you'll follow what Scripture says. Do you know Christ? Have you genuinely repented of your sin, trusted Jesus, confessed Him as the Lord of your life? Are you walking with Him? Are you worshiping Him? Is it fake? Or is it genuine? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.